you know? Yeah, it's perfectly fine. Awesome. Are you ready to go on? I'll keep it real with you, man. I appreciate that. All right, here we go. Welcome, everyone, to the Elevating Your Potential podcast, where I'm your host, Jeremiah Gaines, and we seek to enlighten middle school and high school student-athletes about the realities of college sports. I'm super excited about our guest that we have today, uh, Mr. Andrew Shaw. How you doing? Bro, I am so honored to be here. I am pumped, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, for sure. You know, you're gonna. I'm excited about the insight and wisdom. You have a very inter- interesting perspective um, to help our student athletes. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, so just so the audience knows a little bit more about you and your background and what you're doing, um, kind of enlighten us. What's going on in your world? Give us a little bit of back- about your background. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm gonna go way far back. Uh, in fact, actually, if you don't mind, I want to actually like first off thank my mom because uh, in my story, like she is. Uh, a huge vocal point uh, in my life. Uh, I was raised by a single mom. Still have, I have a good relationship with my dad, but just my mom was there. She was my parent. Uh, she pushed me to uh, indirectly go into the path that I'm in. So I can't wait to share this story. Um, and then obviously my, my future wife who supported me uh, to be where I'm at today, which again, I'll kind of go into, but I want to make sure they both got the, the proper shout out they both deserve. Yeah. So I'm originally from the Bay area, from the Oakland Bay area and growing up, it's Cal territory or Stanford territory. Um, so on my mom's side of the family, who is all from the Bay Area, uh, most of them were Cal fans. And, and I grew up actually a Stanford fan, uh, simply because early on, I, I started, my love for football was at a very young age. Um, that's actually from my dad's side of the family, which I'll get to next. Um, but my favorite football player was John Elway. My favorite color was red. And their logo was an S. My last name started. When you're like three years old, it doesn't take that much to be like, that's the team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was hard at first, but eventually in like the 2010s, thank you, Andrew Luck and Jim Harbaugh, uh, for making it worthwhile. On the flip side, though, um, my dad, that side of the family, they're all like based in Tampa Bay. Um, and for them, they're diehard Florida State fans. Uh, so actually, my love for football started with that. I, I can recall, not vividly, but being basically one two years old like at one years old Florida State won their first national championship and like there's photos of me in onesies and foam tomahawks and stuff like that so it was kind of indirectly ingrained in me even though my mom would raise me most of the time I think my dad got his little tidbits in there right so I thank him for that uh, for my love for Florida State football so growing up I had this weird culmination of I go to Stanford but I also love sports and honestly growing up as much I love like the Denver Broncos or the Sacramento Kings growing up I actually had a better affinity for college sports in fact college sports was more motivating for me uh, than even professional sports and so growing up I always was like I want to be a college athlete Um, and so uh, therefore I wanted to go to college and my mom being a school teacher pushed me academically she was like if you want to go to Stanford you got to have a 4.0 minimum right and so I worked tirelessly and in middle school by the time I graduated middle school I was actually student of the year I played four sports I had almost a 4.0 GPA I think maybe 3.95 or what I got like an a minus here or there so I worked my tail off Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know going into high school still playing football and and other sports and whatnot uh, I actually trailed off because I had the success I'm not gonna lie I pretty much had kind of like a, a, an airhead going there, uh, started inflating, get a little bit of an ego, and, and college counselors were like, oh, your freshman year, you're just getting you to high school. In California, they only count your sophomore through senior year. So I was like, okay, I'm going to cruise freshman year. 
And what I realized was that was my first mistake. It, I was not setting good habits there, uh, at least in the classroom. Um, but I was setting really good habits for football. I was going to every workout. I was in there learning every play. And mind you, in high school, Jeremiah, like I went through three different playbooks. Like I went from wing wow. tee, which I wish we would have kept because we were balling at wing tee, then to a spread offense, and then to a power, like I formation pro style offense, which was terrible because we were a track school. So we had a bunch of fast dudes, and you had guys like me, five foot ten in cleats, two forty five my senior year playing guard. That, <laughs> if a dude like you just came downhill at me, I'm toast. That's that's just the, the way it was. But anyways, from from high school, uh, I wanted to stay local. I want to stay uh, nearby my mom. And also get closer to my dad. My dad was living in the Sacramento area. So uh, I chose to go to Sacramento State. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was about 30 minutes away from my dad and my sister, uh, but still about an hour 45, two hours away from my mom. So it was good for proximity. As much as I wanted to go to other schools or whatnot, at the time, 18 years old, that was the right decision to be made. I fell in love with the campus. Sacramento's full of trees. It's just beautiful, natural landscape, uh, close to Sierra Nevada. So, you know, in the wintertime, great to ski or snowboard, whatever it was. Um, and so starting off, what I did was I wasn't, you know, a scholarship athlete. Um, for, for a short time, I was a practice squad guy. I was working out, um, training with these guys. Um, you know, they'd ask me and I wouldn't practice every day, but they're like, hey, can you help us out with some drills and things like that? Um, and it was an eye-opening experience because for me, I always dreamed of being a D1 football player. Um, and I don't really consider myself that because I looked at guys who I was training with, like Todd Davis, who's a seven-year linebacker, uh, former Broncos now with the Vikings, DeAndre Carter on the Houston Texans. Like, those were dudes. Like, those were day one starters. But the fact that I got to train with them and be at practice and, like, learn what they were they were going through was really a huge honor. Mm -hmm. But after a few knee injuries, um, I actually transitioned and actually became mascot. So I stopped playing football because I knew, hey, this is the time, you know, hit stop. I even dabbled in a little semi-pro, and I was like, man, not even, not even worth it. So my drive for sports actually led me to what I do today. What I do today is um, I oversee orientation for uh, – first off, I work at – Rice University at the Jones Graduate School of Business. Um, and so I have experience in orientation, student government, clubs and associations, um, conduct, wow. I have background in housing, all this kind of stuff. And so when I was looking to come here to Rice, um, I, prior to coming here, and, and this is where Maddie, my fiance, student be wife, came in. I, I was wishing that there was a position where I had like all these random experiences mm -hmm. And could I do it in a job? And that's what I got here at Rice. And so going back to Sacramento State, although it's cool to like talk to guys like you and be like, ah, oh, yeah, man, like I have mad respect for what you did at college, Jeremiah, because uh, I used to get beat up. <laughs> you said the weight room with those guys. But really, my experience was surrounded by uh, getting involved in housing. I was a resident advisor. I got involved in the RHA, which is the Resident Housing Association. As a freshman, just getting involved and in learning about big programs we could put on for all the different res halls. 
you know, then I transitioned into looking into social opportunities. So I joined a Greek organization. I joined other social clubs. I learned how to salsa dance. Um, I eventually went into student government and uh, did that for about a couple of years. And then I think the, the biggest, best experience for me in undergrad was actually being an orientation leader and then eventually an orientation coordinator. Uh, but I will say, um, and I'm really hoping the gist of, of what I get to talk about is for, especially for the audience that you have, if you don't play sports in college, it's not the end of the world. The sports that you play, like the things I learned from, you know, you're talking about middle school to high school people, um, really help shape who I am today as a professional. I'm almost 30 years old working with people getting their master's in business administration, one of the top business schools in the entire world. And I'm using skills that I got from football, even though I'm not a football player anymore, uh, to actually work with these students. So um, so I know it's, it's a lot. I know I just unpacked a lot, but I wanted to make sure that like, your audience knew how, like, you know, coming from this area um, and, and what I do now, and obviously I can focus more on like my college experiences and, you know, how to succeed as a college student in general, whether you're an athlete or not, uh, because I have experiences advising athletes and uh, from their orientation experiences to even when they're in their classes, in their daily lives, in season or off season. So I'm really looking forward to it. But yeah, I, a lot of crazy experiences. Uh, but yeah, that's what hey. I do. That's really good, Andrew. Um, so I want to stay here for a second. Okay. Um, you mentioned skills that you learned as an athlete that you're, that you're carrying on now. What are some of those skills to help our student athletes kind of see what they're doing is important and that it will carry lasting effects whether they play in college um, or the pros or not? First and foremost, discipline. Um, I think especially in competitive sports like uh, growing up in California and moving to Texas, one, one thing was the same, is that true athletes learn to be disciplined and really carry that forward. Discipline in terms of, you know, athletes, when it comes to eating, when it, so dieting, your training, uh, when you're studying, not just your homework for classes, but also your playbooks, uh, feedback from your coaches, uh, stretching, sleeping, all that, you know, staying on a schedule, uh, is so important and it leads into like time management when you're a professional like for me I'm a professional literally developing professionals who see over 500 million dollars in, in oil or you know our salespeople who have clients that are in New York City all the way to like Dubai and stuff like that and so you know being disciplined in terms of you know if I have meetings all day from eight to five being able to schedule that out that's why your coaches teach you about like the importance of scheduling things and allotting times to okay I need to get lunch in you know like I still work out so being you know disciplined and balanced okay if I want to work out but then also be able to go home to like my wife and stuff like that. Here's what I need to, okay, work out at 5.30 a.m. Uh, I got to leave the house by 7.30 if I need to make to the office at this time. Okay, I get off work at, at 6. I can anticipate getting home by like 6.30, and then this is what I need to do at home. So discipline, I think, is the biggest thing um, that you can translate from, from sports. Um, and the second thing is really um, communication, um, if, especially in team sports. I can't really speak in behalf of like, individual sports you know maybe like track and field you might want to be you know there's a special relationship with a sprinter and a sprinter's coach and things like that I dabbled in track and field but I never took it seriously so I can't speak to that but like Jeremiah us coming from like team sports whether it's communicating with your teammates the trainer 
uh, you know, personal or athletic trainers, your coaches, um, and then their communication to you and how you, you absorb and, and learn uh, from what they're saying, actually, you know, making improvements, you need to be doing that as, as an adult as well. Uh, so there are, there are hundreds of, of ways um, that you can translate what you get from sports and, and how it, it turns into your professional life. Uh, and you start that as soon as you go to college. Again, whether you become an athlete in college or not, um, you know, you can, if you take these skills to heart, you're going to be so much further other peers who didn't go through all the intense sports and all the intense training and development that you go through at such a young age. That's so good. So how do we actually use those things to our advantage and translate? I mean, it sounds good. Yeah, we're doing all these things, but how does that like, how can we take a tangible hold of what we're going through, what we're experiencing and implement those things and put us in a situation to have that job? or to train people like you're doing, well, how, how can we do that? I mean, uh, take, I'm, I'm a big proponent, and Jeremiah, we've talked about this, um, you know, offline, I'm a big proponent in everything in life happens for a reason. And, and um, you know, it can be, you can either take it as a blessing or you can make it your own curse. So for example, um, you know, having the, I think my injuries, um, and my life experiences and why, you know, I couldn't continue to play football, let's say, in, in college, because I don't consider myself a college athlete. Um, you know, rather than being so mad and so angry uh, about that, I took that as okay, these new opportunities are opening up. So what I try to do and, and tell students is, like, let's take a look at what you can do. Let's focus on your strengths and the weaknesses rather than these things that are like holding you down. Um, and so for me, what I encourage athletes and then what we can continue to encourage young men and women who have been former athletes, maybe competed at a high level in high school or even in college is continue to, to um, translate like your experiences. And when you notice somebody who's kind of going through a similar struggle, like be there for them, show, give them pure examples of like, hey, I overcame this, you know, if, if I quit and I let like my <laughs> physical failures define my life, I wouldn't have, you know, probably found an opportunity to advise student athletes who, of course, like as they were going through their studies in schools and, and things like that while dealing with injuries, thankfully my injury background and how it affected me mentally, I knew for that student athlete who actually a start, whether it's a starting guard for the basketball team or, you know, volleyball or something like that, that like, I know that it's really taking a toll. So how can I bring them home, uh, get them the resources and the help that they need uh, so that way they can, you know, still succeed in the classroom, but then also uh, in field and in life. And so how this fuels professionally is, um, one, when you take these experiences, whether they're great or bad, um, one thing I started when I would work with athletes, whether they were my roommates or like my freshman students who I would work with from orientation or even as their advisor uh, through their first year of college is start thinking about the things that you do daily as an athlete um, that can make you, whether it's a good business person or, or whatever, like whether it is a professional athlete or a trainer or something like that, you know, start thinking about the things that you do. Because I think, Jeremiah, you, you've had guests speak about this. It's like translating from when you stop playing to like being a professional is often really hard for athletes, you know, like putting together a resume or stuff like that. I tell people, hey, I'm like, got your phone here. Like you've got a notes section, like whatever you did today, um, 
just jot it down, like keep copies of like your schedules and things like that. Talk with your coaches of like, you know, uh, why do we, why do I do this? You know, why do you, you know, ingrain this in, in our soul? And they'll tell you uh, because it's going to make you better in X, Y, and Z, you know, jot that down. And then when you talk to somebody, you get an interview or you're looking for like a potential job or something like that, bring up those experiences. Like, you know, that, takes you so much further and I'll also say for people who were athletes like most people admire athletes in this country and that's a huge advantage if you could bring a good athletic perspective to something like even for me when I was the mascot I could bring up stories as the mascot and that's automatically people are like they're drawn in right and that's usually when you're interviewing you're trying to like get to a point where uh you, you draw them in you hook them right because you want to stand out compared to other candidates so I know I'm kind of rambling about a whole bunch of things but but really it, these things can, can all translate, but it just takes a second for you to like stop and think because none of this is pointless. I'll tell you that one thing, none of this is pointless. It will, it will help you in the long run for the rest of your life. That is, I don't think you're rambling at all because you're giving great tangible steps to help us. I wish I would have written down everything I went over that I did. when I, was <laughs> I wish I did too. I didn't learn that <laughs> until someone told me I should be. <laughs> right. So take this, what we're saying as student athletes and apply what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's take a step back for a second. Okay. You brought up student orientation yeah. uh, multiple times. Yeah. What is that? What does that mean to a student or student athlete that's listening? Yeah. So um, student orientation is so important so you know for for athletes right here if it's middle school high school you know coach the students themselves coaches parents whatnot what you need to know in the college process is whether your student is getting recruited as an athlete or is just getting recruited as a general student the first thing that you do is you go through like an admissions process where you apply for these institutions or if you get recruited there's like typically a separate process uh, to, to go through that. And so once you're admitted to the university, because even as an athlete, and I know Jeremiah, every episode, you, you hit the nail on the head every time of like, it's important to be admitted to the university. Just because you're an athlete doesn't mean that you can just not do schoolwork. So, you know, once you get admitted, the next step is orientation. And what this does is that it um, allows you all to be introduced to the culture of the university. This is where you get your foundation and, and fundamentals uh, to becoming a successful college student and then eventually should translate into be a, a successful adult uh, for the rest of your adulthood. So some topics that we cover typically in orientation is, you know, what is it like going to class? Um, learning about your major or some students at some universities, you don't register for a major. Learning why is it like, for example, at Rice University in your first year, you don't get designated a major, you are a general education student, and then eventually you apply for a major. But at orientation, you'll learn things like, why is it structured that way? It's, you know, for example, Rice will tell you, it is so that you become a better overall, well-diversed human being, and then that way, you know, you'll sit down with your advisor and they'll tell you based off of like, what classes you've taken and the grades and, you know, feedback from professors, these are some of your, you know, better majors, whether it's engineer, business, uh, social sciences, whatever it may be. Uh, but for a student and for parents, it's important to know all this information, you know, know about like, for example, if you're not playing sports anymore, but you're like, I still want to go to the gym. I can't get this gym bug out of me. Learn about, you know, where the gym is on campus. Um, if you're going to be living on campus, you're going to live in res life. You'll get, you know, tours of that. So it gives you basically 
whole big general heap of information that's supposed to set you up. So by the time you enroll, you know, you start your first class on day one, you kind of have a general gist of everything. Now, the one tip I will give when it comes to orientation is be prepared to be overwhelmed with information. I'm sure people are probably listening to this right now and are like, I'm already overwhelmed, Andrew. So only imagine <laughs> what it's like here. You know, and like for my job, what I do is even with master's in business administration students, I do orientation for them because even, even though they're in their 20s, 30s, some of them 40s and 50s, depending on what MBA program they enrolled in, it's still important for them to know, hey, you need technological support? Here's our tech office. Hey, here's what, you know, I'm in the student program office. Here's what each of us do. We have the registrar team, which includes academic advising and transcripts and things like that. Help you get enrolled in classes. You get leadership training, like through myself, um, you know, want to get involved in clubs and organizations. You have, you know, other folks, um, you know, your career development office. So you still, no matter what, uh, you know, orientation is important and it's good to learn that when you go to college because, you know, whether you get another degree or even when you get a job, you know, when I got hired, whether it's I've worked for sports supplement companies, you know, or in higher education, like you're going to get an orientation. So it's good to actually learn early on, like whether you're 18 or maybe you become a, a community college student and you transfer in your JUCO transfer, uh, which orientations for that. Again, it's just training you to, okay, how can you receive and learn all this information, be able to dissect it and get yourself set up. And most people, yeah, you're gonna be overwhelmed, but that's why it's important and why I recommend people when it's like orientation is to review the materials. And if there's any materials that people send out beforehand, because they will, I know I do personally for my programs, make sure you read those too, because that those pre-reads, just like we're over the summer, sometimes y'all have classes. I know some of y'all are probably AP or IB students, you have pre-reads before you go into your high school classes. It's those orientations. So uh, basically, long story short, it's to get you prepared uh, for your journey in college. Uh, but again, it translates into your adult life and, you know, other opportunities where you're going to get different orientations, except this one is typically more fun. And there's like overnight activities. And, you know, usually you trash a dorm room. You don't do it intentionally, but there's like paint and glitter and, all that stuff. I don't know. I'm not so big of a fan of glitter, but I mean, you know, there's swimming pools you can utilize. So it's, it's a good time. Um, it's probably better than work orientation. <laughs> and I love the way that you're connecting all of this to what they're actually going to experience in the real world. Cause like you said, everyone will go through orientation. Um, yeah, I think, and, and sorry to interrupt, I think it helps. Like when I've talked to undergrads, I've worked a lot with undergrads prior to working with uh, graduate students and Honestly, both populations say it helps when these things can be translated. Because if I can help a student avoid feeling like, oh, this is pointless, if I can help them avoid that attitude, there, you know, studies have shown that you're more successful when you receive that orientation information. There's actually lots of studies out there that go over orientation. And the main gist of it is when it's a, a student and a parent, you know, or either or when they go into orientation and are like, this is important stuff. Uh, you know, and review it and things like that, the more chances like all that information is going to be sunk in um, and can be used. Uh, whereas if somebody comes in with a negative attitude and it's like, ah, you know, forget this, this is not, this is a waste of my time. Then it's like, you're already, you know, you're already in a losing predicament here. And, and I don't want any of your, your listeners losing, Jeremiah. That's the thing. Yes, They're already winning it. by listening to you. I just want to make sure I help them with that. <laughs> well, I kind of have a follow-up question to that, actually. Yeah. Um, so is there anything you would tell that student 
or a parent outside of what you've already shared with us, if they're going with a negative attitude, is there anything like different that you would tell them to kind of help them see that this is not just something just to put on the calendar, but it's beneficial and important? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want to kind of decipher a couple of things. So there's you know, the negative attitude of, oh, this is pointless. I don't want to be here and stuff like that, which I tell my orientation leaders when I was an orientation coordinator at Sacramento State uh, and working with my my leaders, and I was told this as a leader, it's like, you know, you can't change the mindset of a student coming in, um, but what you can do is tr do your best to genuinely change their outcome by the time that they're done. Uh, but in terms of what you're asking me about, because I'm talking to parents and students and even coaches who I've had coaches come on college tours and, and come to orientations, actually. That's not atypical. Sometimes they represent as the chaperone um, for, for a student. And so, um, or it could be grandparents, regardless of whoever comes in, um, there is like the negative mindset, like I mentioned, and then there's also concern. Um, I am always okay with specifically parents who are concerned about their students' well-being, especially the moms. I'm not saying that dads don't, aren't concerned enough but from my own experiences, and I'm a mama's boy, so okay. my mom... I wouldn't say she was a helicopter parent, and I can define what that is here in a second, but she was definitely concerned because one, I, I'm her only child, and two, like you want, if you go in the mindset of wanting your student to be successful, that's a beautiful thing. And if you're, if you have concerns, that's okay. Make sure that they're addressed, ask those questions, uh, but also maybe be patient because most of the, most of the time your orientation leaders are young adults. So, uh, you know, you have to, I, I encourage parents to like give some grace there. Now, you know, if you're an adult and you're coming to like a graduate student thing, totally different. We can talk, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, there's usually no problems there and I can answer your questions directly. But um, a helicopter parent, that's, I, that's the term that I mentioned, is where the parent would essentially be hovering over the student. And that hinders the development, especially early on, of the student. Um, what I tell parents is, you know, I, I encourage you to trust your student. You know, you, you raise them, you help them get here, especially when I see like, you know, SMU, when I used to meet new kids at SMU while I was in grad school up there, you know, I was like, SMU is no slouch of a school, for example. Your student got here, deserved it, earned it, trust them they're in good hands they have great staff and whatnot and then you as a parent what you need to do is be a student yourself of okay how can i be a supportive parent there's a difference between hovering over a child and then telling them what they should or shouldn't do um and listening to the student when they're saying you know like for me i was just like hey mom I'm switching from kinesiology to sociology. Now, my mom's head, she was like, boy, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> but her response after she kind of went through a few drafts in her head was, oh, cool, tell me more. Because one, as the parent, I know you're like, why on earth is my, my student coming up with this? Kinesiology is going to set them up better financially. I know that's the same thing for students going into business and going into STEM and all that. I get it. I've heard it all. Um, but ultimately, there's probably a reason why your student is doing that. And the best way for you to, you know, for them to succeed and for you to feel as a parent is to, like, go along that journey, support them, learn from them, and at least talk with them. Whether you agree with them or not, I think you should always be supportive of the student. Because uh, ultimately, they're going to take that degree. And if, and if they love it or passionate or doing well in those studies, 
they will ultimately probably do really well in life with it, at least for the most part that, I, that I've seen. So for, for, for uh, parents who feel like they may be a helicopter parent, take a breath, you know, take a step back, uh, trust, trust the university that you've allowed your student, you know, to be admitted to. Um, and, and we're there for you too. I love when there's the parent side of orientation, specifically for undergrad. I had a blast with my parents whenever I would work with them. They were, they were hilarious. A lot of the times they were asking me for like happy hours and stuff like that. Hey, you want to join us at, you know, whether it's Applebee's or Stingers was a bar uh, down the street at Sacramento State. I'm like, nah, I actually have to go to the overnight thing, but I, I appreciate it. So parents, oh. it's, it's going to be okay. Um, but yeah, I hope that kind of helped answer the question. Oh, it definitely did. It definitely did. Um, and I, Want to hear one more thing before we transition to another topic? Okay. And the orientation leader. So can you go over like you kind of hit on it a second ago, but mm -hmm. who are usually the orientation leaders like kind of progressing the program along? Mm -hmm. And can you give us some exact like programs that are going on during orientation so they can have a glimpse of like kind of what it looks? Yeah. Like? Absolutely. You know, uh, I'm going to give a shout out here to Mary Shepard, who's my supervisor, and also Sean Ryan, who's another supervisor. Mary was higher up. She was like the, the overall, I don't want to call it a director. I know that wasn't specifically her title, but to me, she was like basically like an assistant dean to me in terms of orientation. She had such a huge impact and, and um, her voice was heard. Like she would be able to meet with deans like that and sit them down and be like, hey, I need you know, X amount of classes opened up. She had the power. I, I was beyond impressed with her. And she was also one of my most critical, but beneficial coaches and supervisors. I don't think I've ever worked as hard for somebody as I did for her. So it's kind of like when I was a leader and I know it's evolved since then, it's been almost like a decade since I've done this. Um, but I know a few other programs that have done similar things. So I'll try to tie all that in Jeremiah. So this is going to be very broad and I want the audience to know it can always change depending on the university you know, it, for example, if you go to a religious-based institution like a Dallas Baptist or a Liberty or something like that, you're going to have probably some different aspects of orientation than what you would get at like a public institution like a Sacramento State or a UT or A&M or something like that, right? So, um, some things to expect. Uh, first of all, free food. Well, I wouldn't call it free. Let me backtrack. It's more of for it's the ticket that you bought, so you get food during the day. So. It's typically breakfast and lunch, and there's usually snacks and things like that. So first thing, food-wise, now if you have dietary restrictions like myself, I have celiac, so I can't have gluten, uh, you should probably bring your own snacks. Or typically now universities are really good in asking for dietary needs and things like that. So even then, it's evolved since 2010 when I was first doing this thing. Um, so you can expect that. Second thing that you can expect, other than like the general information sessions and things like that, students can expect typically to register for their classes at orientation. There are a few universities here and there that have a t completely different system, but from what I've seen from a lot of public institutions specifically, even privates, um, is that you register for your classes uh, when you come to your orientation day. So that is huge. That's both the most exciting and also the most nerve wracking. Um, and that's for both the student and the, and the parent when they're, when they are there. Uh, three, usually some sort of, uh, there's usually multiple workshops that you can attend. Either they're required or what they do is they'll have like two half an hour slots where they'll have breakouts. So, you know, typically they split off between parent sessions and student sessions and some institutions will have both student and parent sessions. So for example, 
um, there's usually a session on financial aid because that is always a hot topic. So you can take advantage of that. There's usually like a club's fair. So either there's a club's fair that's shared with lunchtime or they kind of have their own separate um, session. Um, you know, there's the career office, there's academic advising. Um, you know, if for transfer students, uh, if they're coming from military, there's usually like um, military benefits. So there's usually a workshop for that. Or maybe as a parent, you were a veteran and you want to learn how you can, you know, carry down your benefits to your students. There are workshops like that. So you can expect things like that. Um, and then typically, what most programs do, and this is the one thing. I urge like every student who's listening to this, Jeremiah, overnight experiences, they are the best. Some of my closest friends from undergrad came from those overnights. I'm still in touch with them. You know, I went Greek with them. I, you know, I was in student government with them. I lived housing with them. You know, like I worked out with them. Like these were, these are buddies who I still stay in touch with to this day. That's you know, 10 plus years later, um, and you have fun activities, whether it's, you know, um, I had like an aquatic center when I was in undergrad. So I was able to go to like, there's this lake that Sacramento State owned, and you could go out there and there's like, huge inflatables and like you can wrestle people off of tubes and stuff like that. There's waivers. So it's okay. And we have first aid and, you know, all that stuff available. But like, you know, there's cool things like that. I know Tar. Alton State does this thing called Duck Camp, which is this like insane, awesome, crazy, fun-filled adventure. Uh, you know, there's like the outdoors, there's like a camping aspect that, you know, you can, there's like, you know, you climb up trees like in bungee and stuff like that. Like there's so many wild, crazy, fun experiences um, that are at these overnight experiences. Uh, but I encourage everybody, whether you're an extrovert like myself, Jeremiah, or if, you know, you're quiet, especially the quiet folks, because it allows for you, one, there's no parents who are at these things, so that's pretty sweet if you're 18 years old. Okay, cool, mom and dad or whatever, you know, coach or whoever was with, with me, you know, on day one is not going to be here. Cool, I can live it up. You know, it allows you to open up and be yourself and discover new parts of you, because that's ultimately what college is going to allow you to do, is really discover yourself now that your parents raised you right, and hopefully you listen to your parents, now you take the opportunity to like, okay, let me discover the rest of like who I am. Um, and so for introverts, that's usually a really fun way um, to, to grow in that aspect. Um, it may be terrifying at first for introverts, but I, I guarantee you there's plenty of other activities that are more mellow and things like that. And usually too with overnights, like the orientation leaders that are there are helping you like build your class schedules and things like that too. So it's also additional help. So that way when you register for classes, you're really like, man, I'm good. I'm done. Whatever. Like it's it. compared to your friend who's like, comes in and didn't get that extra time to like work on their class schedule. Now they're freaking out over, do I take English or do I take like physics? Um, get English, start with the easy stuff. Don't go to physics <laughs> until you absolutely need to. I'm speaking from experience. Um, but yeah, that's what you can expect in orientation. Man. So real quick, when yeah. do, when does orientation typically happen? I should have asked this earlier, but I'm asking. Oh, no worries. That, my fault for not thinking about that. Uh, for most folks, it's going to be over the summertime. Um, you can expect it usually uh, for some schools late June depends on how many students there are going to be. I can like A&M, for example, I mean, they probably start late June at least um, and go all the way through August. I know when I was working at UT Dallas, shout out to the comments, um, there was like a transfer orientation um, in June for the most part. And then there was like the freshman orientation 
was basically July all the way to mid-August. And we had a really cool student org fair that we did. Uh, we had kettle corn, popcorn, that was fun. We had music, it, it was bumping. We'd have like 200 organizations that would be there. Uh, that was a fun time. So yeah, you can expect that for some students, like let's say, you know, maybe you don't go to college right away, like in, in the fall and that's okay. Like if you go to community college or something like that, uh, maybe even going to trade school, but then eventually you want to transfer in and go into a, a four year undergrad. Uh, there's also typically winter options as well. Uh, but the majority of y'all can expect, you know, if you do freshman orientation, that's middle of summer to August. Um, and then if you were to do like a transfer orientation in summertime, you usually get first dibs. Um, and don't worry for freshmen, they don't touch any of your classes. So that's, you don't have to worry about that. And then again, transfer orientation could also happen in the winter at some institutions. Okay, but perfect. For the, most, for the most part. Okay, great. Um, so you actually have